0: Hi, my name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to the Bible in a Year, the Story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 14. We're going to be reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Genesis 25 and 26, Job 15 and 16, Proverbs 2, verse 20 to 22. Genesis 25. Abraham had taken another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuan. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. And the descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Latushites, and the Leomites. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldia. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre, in the field of Ephron, son of Zoar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There, Abraham was buried with his wife, Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who then lived near Birloroi. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Ishmael, whom Sarah's slave, Hagar, the Egyptian, bore to Abraham. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael listed in the order of their birth. Neboath, the firstborn of Ishmael, Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tima, Zitar, Zephish, and Kedem. These were the sons of Ishmael. And these are the names of the 12 tribes, rulers according to their settlements and camps. Ishmael lived 137 years. He breathed his last, last and died. He was gathered to his people. His descendants settled in the area from Hivalah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt, as you go towards Asher. And they lived in the hostility toward all the tribes related to them. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethel the Aramean from Padan Aram and sister of Laban the Aramian. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was six years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear it to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine and Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servant had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up and filled them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, "'Move away from us. "'You have become too powerful for us.' "'So Isaac moved away from there "'and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. "'Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug "'in the time of his father Abraham, "'which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, "'and he gave them the same name his father had given them. "'Isaac's servants dug in the valley "'and discovered a well of fresh water.' But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours, so he named the well Issek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sidna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Fecal the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord." Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, We found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Biri the Hittite, and also Basemeth, the daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Job 15. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Would a wise person answer with empty notions or fill their belly with the hot east wind? Would they argue the useless words with speeches that have no value? But you even undermine piety and hinder devotion to God. Your sin prompts your mouth and you adopt the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, not mine. Your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man ever born? Were you brought forth before the hills? Do you listen in on God's counsel? Do you have a monopoly on on wisdom? What do you know that we do not know? What insights do you have that we do not have? The gray-haired and the aged are on our side." Men, even older than your father, are God's consolation not enough for you? Words spoken gently to you? Why has your heart carried you away? And why do your eyes flash so that you vent your rage against God and pour out such words from your mouth? What are mortals that they could be pure or those born of women that they could be righteous? If God places no trust in his holy ones, if even the heavens are not pure in his eyes, how much less mortals who are vile and corrupt, who drink up evil like water? Listen to me and I will explain to you. Let me tell you what I've seen, what the wise have declared, hiding nothing received from their ancestors, to whom alone the land was given when no foreigners move among them all his days the wicked man suffers torment the ruthless man through all the years stored up for him tearing sounds filled his ears when all seems well marauders attack him he despairs of escaping the realm of darkness he is marked for the sword he wanders about for food like a vulture he knows the days of darkness is at hand distress and anguish fill him with terror troubles overwhelm him Troubles overwhelm him like a king poised to attack because he shakes his fist at God and and vaunts himself against the Almighty, defiantly charging against him with a thick, strong shield. Though his face is covered with fat and his waist bulges with flesh, he will inhabit ruins, towns, and houses where no one lives, houses crumbling to rumble. He will no longer be rich and his wealth will not endure, nor will his possessions spread over the land. He will not escape the darkness, a flame with will wither his shoots, and the breath of God's mouth will carry him away. Let him not deceive himself by trusting what is worthless, for he will not get nothing in return. Before his time he will wither, and his branches will not flourish. He will be like a vine stripped of its unripened grapes, like an olive tree shedding its blossoms, for the company of the godless will be barren, and the fire will consume the tents of those who love bribes. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Their wombs fashion deceit. Then Job replied, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will you long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Yet if I speak, my pain is not relieved. And if I refrain, it does not go away. Surely, God, you have worn me out. You have devastated my entire household. You have shriveled me up and it has become a witness. My gauntness rises up and testifies against me. God assails me and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me. My opponents fastens on me his piercing eye. People open their mouths to jeer at me. They strike my cheek in scorn and unite together against me. God has turned me over to the ungodly and thrown me into the clutches of the wicked." All was well with me, but he shattered me. He seized me by the neck and crushed me. He made me his target. His archers surround me. Without pity, he pierced my kidneys and spilled my gall on the ground. Again and again, he bursts upon me. He rushes at me like a warrior. I have sewed sackcloth over my skin and buried my brow in the dust. My face is red with weeping. Dark shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been free of violence, and my prayer is pure earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God, on behalf of a man he pleads with God, as one pleads for a friend. Only a few years will pass before I take the path of no return. Proverbs 2, 20. Thus you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it but the wicked will be cut out from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it okay so we know sarah died and that isaac and rebecca have married i believe the estimation is about three years later at the age of about 140 abraham we read first that abraham has a new wife in genesis 25 1 Um, because the Hebrew word Esha is used, and they named uh, his wife Keturah, and it says that they have six sons, Uh, although I'm really sorry, I probably didn't say all those names right. (laughs) Then it says that Isaac inherits everything, and Abraham's concubines, which is the Hebrew word pilgesh, note it's also written in plural, has sons, and they are given gifts and sent out into the east. Uh, are you like, wait, what? I certainly am. Uh, note, Hagar, the immigrant that Sarah and Abraham used in Exiled in the previous story, uh, was also referred to as a wife in Genesis 16, 3, and a concubine and a slave in other places. Also note that in 1 Chronicles 1, 32, Keturah is referred to again uh, when talking about Abraham as a concubine. Ugh, we just don't really know who she was or what her status was or if Abraham did or did not have additional concubines. While this is confusing and maybe frustrating, and these titles of wife or concubine do have something to do with the order and status in the relationship, keep in mind no matter whether a woman was a wife or a concubine in that culture and time, they were both considered the property of their husbands and they only had sex with their husband or keeper, uh, whereas a prostitute may have been owned by a man but used by many. So, very messy and clearly disordered because it's messy. It's definitely not Genesis 2 order. So, it's uh, clearly disordered and kind of weird to me. But genealogically, maybe the point of the passage is to point to the descendants of Abraham who also become great nations to the east. Something interesting to point out here is about the east. The word is used seven times in the Old Testament according to Dr. Tim Mackey and it signals exile or separation and the north and the south are where enemies are, and the west is where you want to go. I'm sure you've heard and seen these kinds of themes in modern-day fiction stories, too, about the North, uh, North, South, East, and West. But I do want to point to, I remember listening to a podcast and John Collins broke out into the Michael W. Smith Go West Young Man song. So for all of you Gen Xers out there or those that love the 90s, this was a chart-topping album with A Place in This World also being, like, number six with Amy Grant on the Billboard charts. But... I digress. Okay, now we zoom into Ishmael's descendants and learn about both the growth and the hostility towards all the tribes related to them. And then next in this passage, we zoom into Isaac, the secondborn, yet the chosen one. Let's point to the fact that the cultural value of the firstborn male in a patriarchal system means the firstborn should have the birthright to inheritance and the blessing, right? Right? So second-born sons, brothers, they usually just don't—they don't get the same status, uh, wealth, or opportunity. So it's interesting that God is deviating from this human-made cultural norm, and he has He has a different plan for human power structures. Some of you might recall the last will be first and the first shall be last. Uh, Dr. Tim Mackey points out that human beings were second-born to spiritual beings in Genesis 1 because he created the heavens and— uh, like spiritual beings like uh, angels and cherubim before he made humankind. And maybe that's the first account of a spiritual being, the serpent trying to take the human's power and blessing because we we know God gave... uh, humans power to rule the earth the spiritual being in genesis 3 was perhaps jealous that god had made a second born to have a portion of power and authority because the heavens just weren't enough for this firstborn elohimian creature also note jesus is referred to in colossians as the first born all creation but also the second adam in first corinthians 15 and we know really ultimately that jesus is the first the only and the last right God's desire is for the blessed to be blessings because real power is in service. It's in the giving, not the taking of the blessing, but in the giving of the blessing. Yet in the Bible, we constantly see the anger of the oldest who feels slighted if they are or they're not first, and the second feels defensive, so strife. There's rivalry, receiving, and seizing of power. Notice a theme. God's rescue plan was started with Eve in Genesis 3.15 after the alienation and dislocation, right? So his rescue plan was started with Eve in Genesis 3.15. This She was the second one appointed to the Garden of Eden. And look how God chose Abel, the second born, and not Cain, the first born of Adam and Eve. Um, and then Seth was chosen because Cain killed Abel. There was jealousy in there. Then God chose Shem, Noah's secondborn. Then God chose Abraham, one of many. And now God is choosing the secondborn again here in the Abraham and Isaac story. We learn that he didn't pick Ishmael, who was his firstborn. He's picking Isaac. And it will shock you. No, wait, it won't shock you. But we will soon learn that God chooses Jacob, the secondborn twin of Isaac and Rebekah. And God will choose uh, Leah, Jacob's first wife through trickery, but the wife he does not love to be the genealogical part of his rescue mission, um, to bring this the serpent crusher, the wounded Victor Jesus, through the line of descendants of Judah. So her, her son, her and Isaac, So, not Isaac, sorry, her and Jacob. No, God did not typically pick who we think he will, and God blesses for the purpose of having that person join into his rescue mission to bless others. I think we also see that God shines in situations where the weaker, the lesser, or the unexpected is chosen because the person or situation around that person points back to him. Like, there's no other reason. So, I think, I don't think God is maybe trying to just necessarily poke the bear in terms of poking cultural systems that we make, but I think he's trying to say, well, in this cultural system, it elevates those that are first, um, and he wants to elevate, therefore, those that are second so that you have to ask the question, why? Why is this person blessed or able to give to others? Why are they being chosen? And the answer always and has to be God because it's not. It makes no sense in the cultural norm. So Although we may not know all of his ways, I do tend to think, you know, he's not just trying to be annoying. He's trying to invite us into his mission and have us work with him because, again, we're in his story. He's not in ours. So in terms of pattern, we continue to see that God also blesses both the chosen and the non-chosen. He's a God who loves to share and give prodigally. Remember, he blessed even the non-chosen or the non-righteous when he asked directly or on behalf of um, other people. Remember Ishmael? Remember God's response to Cain after murdering, murdering Abel? Remember God's rescue of Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah on behalf of Abraham's request? While well, God picks or produces the blessing upon one family, like he produced the Garden of Eden and appointed Adam and Eve, God picks a, one family for the purpose of reproducing his blessing and representing him in the world, and we are reading signposts that this blessing can include others even outside of the chosen family. Also note the pattern of the struggle with conceiving. So Sarah and now Rebecca and soon Rachel are going to have trouble conceiving um, to have a baby. Something interesting, Dr. Tim Mackey points out that in Genesis 3, the Hebrew word for a woman will have pain in what we read in English as childbirth. In Hebrew, actually means conceiving. So she'll have struggle with conceiving um, because there's actually another Hebrew word that more plainly and straightforward means childbirth. And I guess that does make sense because narratively, which follows that is the that, you know, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, all these women have trouble, difficulty conceiving. And then how God is called upon or intervenes to bring conception. In this case, Isaac prayed for his wife, wife, asking for the blessing, the outcome, the prophet, and God gives them twins. Next, we learn in the story that Rebecca asked God why her babies were moving so much inside her and God revealed his plan. He talks about separation, strength, and service. It's this like wounded victory story again, and he'll be choosing the second born. Perhaps this is why she favored Jacob. She knew God would choose him. This is an odd part of the story, though, about Isaac favoring the eldest twin, Esau, and Rebecca favoring Jacob. It feels wrong, and we know from the story that it brings chaos into the family. Now, perhaps we can't always choose what our feelings are going to be, but we can choose what we say and how we behave. Cambridge Bible for School schools and colleges commentary indicates there may be a contrast be, 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 being drawn here between Esau the hunter and Jacob, which was something closer to like a shepherd and a subtle preference for the shepherd, similar to the other stories, um, is being signaled or made here. Father Mike Schmitz points out our tendency to engage as well in habitual sin. As we see Isaac do the same thing as his dad to the same king, poor King Abimelech. Then we see Abimelech also having the same roller coaster of a relationship with the son as the father, with fearing and desiring to be near the chosen family, with oaths and water and feasts. There's patterns being drawn here that are leading us to Jesus. In the end of this story, Esau married two wives, and it leads to disorder, which we know because the result is described as a source of grief for Isaac and Rebekah. I think this is more than a case of in-law drama, but it seems that, like the fact that he picked more than one, which is not a Genesis 2 decision, and he picked women from a culture that seems like they did not worship a monotheistic or, or Yahweh at all. In my brief readings of the Hittites, seem they have many gods represented mostly of these like stone, creature, human figurines, um, and they have ceremonies where they dig pits to cull the underworld. So according to sources like uh, gotquestions.org from Got Questions Ministries uh, by founder D- Dr. Michael Hoodman from the Calvinist tradition, Hittites are mentioned at least 50 times in the Bible, but they are still rather obscure. It is believed from the genealogy that this nation of people descended from Ham. And remember, Abraham uh, bought the cave and tomb for Sarah in Genesis 23 from the Hittites, and later one of David's mighty men, Uri, will be uh, is a Hittite. We also begin to see the ethnicity, culture, and religion are there converged, but there will be a point later in the story where ethnicity and culture will be separated from faith, where faith and your religion and who you trust, who you believe in. Um, you can make that choice separately. But most of the Old Testament will converge ethnicity, which means nations, family lineage, with culture and religion. So it'll be all packaged as one, which somewhat makes sense in a fairly tribal period of history. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11 that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.